Okay. So our, our text tonight is Ephesians 2, 17 to 22. And let's read through the passage and then let's start working through it to see what's actually here. And he came, that is Christ came, and preached peace to you who are far off, that was the ethnicities, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that was the Jewish nation. For through him, through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. And we're going to find aliens are not you know, green creatures with little antenna growing out, okay? Everybody, we're going to, yeah, we'll look at that. Um, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, one of the characteristics of the epistles that are teaching us uh, doctrine is that the apostles would pack a whole lot of material into a very few number of words. And Paul especially loves these long, 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 long sentences, and he just piles it on. Um, it, it would be like maybe a super-duper banana split with everything on it. I mean, just he just piles it all on there, and we're going to uh, work through that whole collection of things. Now, in verse 17, we read, He came, Jesus came, and He preached peace to you. Now, earlier in the chapter, we're told that He is our peace. He's the one that has broken down the hostility, not just between Jew and Gentile, but between us and God. And so when He preached peace, He preached Himself as the answer to the war that was between us and God. He preached peace. Now, what's interesting, that word preached, you know, almost left it out, but this is, this is a very important word. Um, it, it's a word that, you see it up there, the, the, the Greek term, now, you know, you say, well, this isn't very kid-friendly. Like, I'm teaching your kids Greek right from the beginning, all right? Okay? Euangelisata, okay? And it comes from the verb, euangelizomai, in the middle, you can see the word we get like angel from, because an angel's a messenger that announces things, okay? The very first part, the you, is something good, like a eulogy, okay? And we get the word, can you see the relationship? Evangelize. You realize evangelize is, is actually just a transliteration. It's just a transliteration of a Greek word. When you say, oh, I am engaged in evangelism, you're actually using Greek. Okay? It's been transliterated into English, but you've got, see, angel in the middle, a messenger, somebody who announces or proclaims, and then this comes from the part that means good. So he preached 
the gospel. And gospel means what? Good news. It's a, it's a good announcement. It's a good proclamation. And another way to describe that is it's, it is news. It's an announcement that brings joy. When you announce the birth of a baby, we had two this week, hey? When you announce the birth of a baby, it's good news. It's exciting news. And, and I, I think it's really cool that when Jesus was born, the angels, the announcers, the messengers, gave good news to the shepherds that Christ was born. Well, Jesus not only is our peace, but he also preached that peace to both us that were far off and to those that were near. Peace with God, and it made peace with one another as well. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit. So, this is what this is the event that starts everything. This is the foundation. Here's the good news. You know, sometimes people say, "Oh well, you know, the gospel, gospel." I mean, we've we've all heard the gospel since we were kids. I mean, it's this is just like old hat. Like it's just no. When when he says it's good news, it's not marketing. Okay, it's not taking something that's small and making it a big deal. It's it's actually impossible to make it important enough because it includes so much. The good news, we have peace with God, we have peace with, another, with one another, and through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay? So we now can, can actually talk to God as our Father. We talked about this this morning, that one of the, one of the first things that we experience as new believers is not only forgiveness, and the, and the relief of having our sins forgiven, but also the sense that now we belong to God. He's not just the judge, but he is also our Father. And we're able, we're able to access, we're able to access God Himself through Jesus in one spirit, one spirit that that unites us all. There's this continuing living because the Spirit gives us life, family relationship that both Jews and Gentiles have as they enter into this relationship with God the Father. And look, you don't, you don't have to live life as an orphan. Don't live life as an orphan. If you're trusting in Jesus, you, your Father owns everything. He created everything. He created you. He knows you. You know, sometimes we're, when we're trying to explain to our parents what's going on in our lives, and sometimes we, we're talking past each other, Sometimes, you know, in parents, like every kid's different. Like you're, you're trying, some of them are easier to figure out than others. And God has you figured out. And God loves you more than any human parent could love you. And so we have access to that relationship. And so then, you are no longer, you're no longer strangers. And he's already talked about these words, strangers and aliens. Now, stranger, the, the word, I'm going to do a little more Greek because actually people use Greek uh, even today. The word for strangers, this is the plural, the, the singular would be xenos, is xenoi. Ever heard of xenophobia? Who has heard of xenophobia? Okay. Okay, that comes from a word... 
Phobia, or phobos, fear. It means to fear those that are, are foreign, those that are strangers. So once we were, we were foreigners to this kingdom of God. We're no longer, we're no longer foreigners. We're no longer strangers. Now, aliens, we, we usually don't use that word except when we're talking about extraterrestrials. And it fits because if they're, you're, you're from somewhere else, right? They're from somewhere else and they're here. The, the word that's used here is often translated um, the idea of sojourning. And, and it comes from a word that means uh, alongside to live or actually alongside um, a house. It, it has the idea of living in a house. You're alongside the house. So these are people that have taken up residence in your country. They're sojourners. And you recall that, I think it was last week, we were talking about the old commandment to love. And, and there in Leviticus 19, one of the things that God commanded his people, because he is the Lord, is that they were supposed to leave the corners of their field, not harvest all the way, so that, so that the poor would have something to eat, and so that the sojourners would have something to eat. Um, they, they didn't have a job yet, maybe, and, but they could go out and work in the fields and get enough to sustain themselves. And, and that was part of treating people like God treats people, okay? So, and I think, you know, there's all, politics aside, and we're going to get to the word politics, by the way, I, I'm, I'm hopefully going to erase a little bit of the bad taste in your mouth whenever somebody says politics. But, but we want to, we want to treat people as made in the image of God, um, not as foreigners and those that are sojourning, but, but even if they are foreigners, even if they are sojourning, God has taught, even in the Old Testament, that, that we treat people right. In fact, he said once you were sojourners in Egypt. Remember that? And they, they were in Egypt for 400 years. They were mistreated a good part of that time. It wasn't right for them to be mistreated. And so, all of this mixes in. Now, let's, let's go, though, to this right here. We've talked about citizenship. Fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. Well, there's a word that means city. The word is polis, okay? That means city. Somebody who lives in that city is a citizen, Okay? And so you have the net. That's not polite, okay? I actually looked up to see if polite actually comes from this, but it doesn't, sorry. It comes from a word that means polished. But, but citizen is somebody who's a, a, a member of that city, okay? So then we take the word sum, like together. Like we, when we say, who, who has heard of a symphony? Like a symphony orchestra, Okay? That comes from the word together with plus uh, sound. And a symphony combines a lot of sounds together to make music. It orchestrates it together. Okay? So this takes the word together with along with citizen, and you have a fellow citizen. Now, can you see where the word politics comes from? Okay. So, politics is, is about citizenship. It's about the people that make up uh, those that, that belong to a particular group. And um, 
I, I've had to realize that, you know, I need to be careful about my hatred for politics because really politics is about the people that make up the community I'm part of. And if I can think of it that way, instead of thinking of it as propaganda and polarization and all, all the kind of dirty tricks that we tend to associate with it, if I can think of it in terms of what can I do to actually be a good citizen, to take care of other citizens, to show kindness to other people and contribute to the community. We've, we've actually tried to emphasize this a little bit and as we're going to reach people with the good news of the gospel, we need to pay attention to uh, matters of urgent need. We need to be showing perfect courtesy to all people. And so I, I mentioned this, this, it's a little side, you know, a little appendix, but we're getting ready to go into another, I mean, politics is always around, but election time, you know, we get immersed in it. Tr try to focus less on what can be the ugly part of it and think more about how can I play my part in actually being a benefit to other people that are part of my uh, community and in my particular nation. Now, this kind of viewing of who Christians are, um, fellow citizens with the saints, it is actually a theme that runs through the Scripture. It goes all the way back. It actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And remember, the word saints means that you belong to God. That's what makes a person holy. It's going to evidence itself in a, in a holy lifestyle. But what makes a person holy is that they belong to God. Okay? So you are now fellow citizens with the saints. Peter talks about it this way. And he uses language that actually comes from the Old Testament that originally talked just about Israel. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, a holy nation, in other words, a nation that belongs to God, a people for his own possession, that he may, you know, think about somebody that has a treasure and God treasures us, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, listen to what Peter says. Once you were not a people. This is not something you were just born with. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So e even, even the Jews once were, were not part of this one spirit. They were, they were not part of this one body with no middle wall of hostility. This is something that Christ has done. And then we see we're also members of the household of God. Now, it's one thing to be a citizen, you know, of the vast United States. Um, it's, it's another thing to be part of a household. Now, a household is not just the house. Okay? It's the people that live in it. It's everybody that lives in it. And, and so now Paul is, is, is shifting the image from just this huge number of citizens now to a household. There's a, there's a sense of, of, 
a more loving relationship, more like a family. And I think this is really so important. I've been watching recently some historical um, material on World War II and just so impressed with the, with the hatred that different people have for other people. And, and the reason, that, you know, how it generated so much of what happened uh, in that particular war as well as other wars. So that you say, well, that, that was World War II. That was, that, that, the same kind of things are going on right now. We live in a world full of divisions, of prejudices, of hatred between ethnic groups, um, between different economic classes, different educational background, and, and attempts to dehumanize certain groups of people. This is not a modern thing, um, and, and, it, and it's not only in the past. It's a human thing. It's, it's what sinners by birth and by choice do. And the reality is that we're all made in God's image, but, but we lose that sense of, of unity because of our sin. And so you have all these, these divisions in, a, in ways that there ought not be division. And Christ unites all people into one family, one household over which God rules. And when we say Christ unites, and that means as they're united to Christ, they're united to one another. It's not that there's no such thing as sin. It's that Christ has paid the price for sin. Christ has broken down the hostility, the lack of peace between us and God, and therefore between one another. So this is closer than just being citizens of a kingdom. It's having a, a loving connection. So, in Ephesians 4, Paul's going to go even further, and he's going to compare our unity together to that of a physical body. I mean, a family can be pretty close. It can also get on each other's nerves and be pretty, you know. Uh, but a body, a body has got to work together. If your fingers aren't working with the rest of your body, it's a problem. A dismembered body doesn't work well. It needs to all be working together, and, and that's the level of closeness. Christ the head, directing it all. God giving us life. The Spirit filling us with life, and we function as a physical body, but we will get to that. Now, he goes on to say, we'll need to flip. You know what? When I flip this, I'm going to have to move this. Sorry, guys. Just realize. And it's better to flip it forward than backward if you want to keep your chin. All right, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So apostles, prophets. Apostles sent ones from Jesus. They have been commissioned to give the authoritative message of the gospel. Prophets are those who hear from God and then speak to others. They have to hear from God before they speak to others or it's not legit. And they have to speak to others once they've heard from God. Prophets. So apostles and prophets, the foundation of what we find in the Word of God and Christ Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the God-man Savior himself being the cornerstone now, the cornerstone is a massive stone set at the corner of the building 
that would set the lines of the building. It's what made sure everything was built according to specs, that, that everything held together. You take out the cornerstone and the building is not going to be built right. It's going to be haphazard. It has to be lined up together. We are built on the foundation of the, prophet, of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, give you some idea of how massive these could be. There was a, a cornerstone um, excavated of the, the old Jewish temple that was 38 feet, 9 inches long. In other words, if you, if you went from one end of this platform to the other and you doubled it, it still would be short. I mean, massive sin. I don't know what the measurement is from wall to wall, but I'm, I'm thinking it's pretty close to that. I mean, massive, massive stone, one stone. And Christ is that great cornerstone. We are joined together. You notice this word, joined together. It's really a, a construction term. Have you ever seen a construction site? You know, they clear the land, get it all ready, and then you see all these materials delivered. All these stacks of, of um, two-by-fours, or if they're using metal studs, all that. You've got stone there. You've got all the materials, and it's all delivered in bulk. Okay, all those materials, and we've got guys who work construction, so they know way more about this than I do, but all those materials are delivered, and somebody has to take all those materials and modify them in a way that they all fit together in the right way so that there's a unified structure. It takes a lot of work. Well, God, God has done this work of joining us together into this building now. He's used, he's used the idea of being citizens. He's used the idea of being uh, members of the household of God. Now, household, I don't know if he's, he's starting to think, okay, household reminds me of a building. Let's talk about a building. And he talks about a building, and in particular, a particular kind of building. This is a holy temple. This is a temple that belongs to God. This is, this is a building that has... A, a particular function to it. And in this temple, just like the tabernacle in, in, the, in the wilderness, um, God would dwell there. It, it, was, it was to be symbolic of God's actual presence there. And you'll notice this, so you're being built together for a dwelling place for God and this is not talking just about the individual. It's talking about the whole church by the Spirit. So the Spirit that indwells the individual who's born again indwells all those who are born again. So the Spirit is binding us together in unity. In fact, Ephesians 4 is going to say, make sure you're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That the real unity we have is not a unity of age, it's not a unity of, of ethnic background, it's not a unity of education, it's not a, a, a unity of, of accent or part of the country or part of the world that we come from. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not a unity of, of certain kinds of giftedness. It is a unity created by the Spirit of God himself that indwells us. And, and that makes us a temple, not just individually, but corporately. And a temple, you know, it's made for worship. First Peter 2, earlier in the passage that we looked at from Peter earlier, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in, your, in the sight of God, chosen and precious, and he's already referred to Jesus Christ as a cornerstone, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Jesus is a cornerstone, You've got the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The structure being built on it is us. A temple. A temple to the Lord. A temple where people worship God. A a temple where they they engage in the service of worship. But but worship, worship is more than just a liturgy, a worship service. Worship is more than what we are doing for God. Even more important than that, a temple, a tabernacle, is to display fellowship with God restored. What made the tabernacle and the temple so extraordinary was that God's presence was there. Remember the Shekinah glory, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night to guide them. And and that cloud came into the tabernacle and later when Solomon built the temple, into the temple, it, it was the Shekinah glory of God. And Shekinah glory means the dwelling place glory of God. We are being built together for a dwelling place for God. So, it's it's not only that God is with us, but God is in us. He, He is with us to that degree that He actually becomes part of who we are. And this is why there's such change in us as we're transformed from the inside out. This is just stunning. At one time, Gentiles, like us, the ethnicities, were barred from even entering the temple precincts beyond the court of the Gentiles. And now, they are built into the living temple itself. They couldn't go into the temple, but now the God of the temple has come into them. It's no wonder then that they're, they're, they ought to shine. We talked last Sunday morning, love shines. I mean, we ought to be shining the glory of God. When we look at what Christ has done, it, it has implications on how we live. It has implications for, for how we view other people and, and how we live our lives. We are, we are built together as a temple that's supposed to shine out the glory, the shining splendor 
of the God who indwells us. It's an amazing family privilege. And so this week, as you think about your life, as you interact with other people, remember how privileged we are because of Jesus. This is good news. And Jesus, our peace, has preached this peace, this union, through the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and your kindness to us. And we, we do pray that whatever happens in our world, that really the, the darker it might be, the brighter we would shine because of God with us and God in us. And Lord, make us more like Jesus this week for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray.